0: Incredible Adventures by Algernon Blackwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Patrick Seventy Nine. Part Six. And next day broke as soft and brilliant as though October had stolen it from June. The Alps gleamed through an almost summery haze across the lake the air held no hint of coming winter and the jura mountains wore the true blue of memory in hendrix's mind patches of red and yellow splashed the great pine woods here and there where beech and ash put autumn in the vast dark carpet the tutor woke clear-headed and refreshed all that had happened the night before seemed out of proportion and unreasonable there had been exaggerated emotion in it, in himself because he returned to a place still charged with potent memories of youth, and in Lord Ernie because the lad was overwrought by the electrical disturbance of the atmosphere. The nearness of the ancestral halls which they both disliked had emphasised it. The ominous wild weather had favoured it, and the coincidence of these pagan rites of superstitious peasants have focused it all into a melodramatic form with an added touch of the supernatural that was highly picturesque and well dangerously suggestive. Hendricks recovered his common sense, judgment asserted itself again, yet, for all that certain things remained authentic. The effect upon the boy was not illusion nor his words about fire and wind mere meaningless invention. There hid some undivined and significant correspondence between the gaps in his deficient nature and these two turbulent elements. The talk with Lazan, as the conduct of his wife, remained authentic. Those facts were too steady to be dismissed. The pastor, Too genuinely in earnest to be catalogued in dream, neither daylight nor common sense could dissipate their actuality. Truth lay somewhere in it all. Thus the day for the tutor was a battle that shifted with varying fortune between doubt and certainty. In the morning his mind was decided, the wild experiment was unjustifiable. In the afternoon, as the sunshine grew faint and melancholy it became interesting for what harm could come of it but towards evening when shadows lengthened across the purple forests and the trees stood motionless in the calm and windless air the adventure seemed as it had seemed the night before not only justifiable but right and necessary it only became inevitable however when after tea together on the balcony, Lord Ernie, mentioning the subject for the first time that day, asked pointedly what time the pastor expected them to supper. Then, noticing the flash of hesitancy in his companion's eyes, added in his strange, deep voice, "'You promised we should go!' Withdrawal after that was out of the question. To retract would have meant, for one thing, final loss of the boy's confidence—a possibility not to be contemplated for a moment. Until this moment, no word of the preceding night had passed the lips of either. Lord Ernie had been quiet and preoccupied—silent, rather, but never listless. He was peaceful, perhaps subdued a little, yet with a suppressed energy in his bearing that Hendricks watched with secret satisfaction. The tutor, closely observant, detected nothing out of gear. Life stirred strongly in him. There was purpose, interest, will. There was desire, but there was nothing to cause alarm. Availing himself then of the lad's absorption in his own affairs, he wandered forth alone upon his sentimental tour of inspection. No ghost of emotion rose to stalk beside him. That early tragedy, he now saw clearly, had been no more than youthful explosion of mere physical passion, wholesome and natural, but due chiefly to propinquity. His thoughts ran idly on and he was even congratulating himself upon escape and freedom when, abruptly, he remembered a phrase Bindy had used the night before, and stumbled suddenly upon a clue when least expecting it. He came to a sudden halt. The significance of it crashed through his mind and startled him. "'There are big women!' It was the first reference to the other sex, as evidence of their attraction for him, Hendricks had ever known to pass his lips. Hitherto, though twenty years of age, the lad had never spoken of women as though he was aware of their terrible magic. He had not discovered them as females, necessary to every healthy male. It was not purity, of course, but ignorance. He had felt nothing Something had now awakened sex in him, so that he knew himself a man and naked. And it had revolutionized the world for him. This new life came from the roots, transforming listless indifference into positive desire. The Will woke out of sleep, and all the torrents of his system took aggressive form for all energy, intellectual, emotional or spiritual, is fundamentally one. It is primarily sexual." Hendricks paused in his sentimental walk, marvelling that he had not realized sooner this simple truth. It brought a certain logical meaning even into the pagan rites upon the mountains. These ancient rites, which symbolized the marriage of the two tremendous elements of wind and fire, heat and air. And the lad's quiet, busy mood that morning, confirmed his simple discovery. It involved restraint and purpose. Lord Ernie was alive. Hendricks would take home with him to those ancestral halls a vessel bursting with energy, creative energy it was admirable that he should witness, from a safe distance, this primitive ceremony of crude pagan origin. It was the very thing! And the tutor hurried back to the house among the vineyards, aware that his responsibility had increased, but persuaded more than ever that his course was justified. The sky held calm and cloudless through the day, the forest brooding beneath the hazy autumn sunshine. Indications that the second hurricane lay brewing among the heights were not wanting, however, to experience size. Almost a preternatural silence reigned. There was a warm heaviness in the placid atmosphere. The surface of the lake was patched and streaky, the extreme clarity of the air an ominous omen distant objects were too close. Towards sunset, moreover, the streaks and patches vanished as though sucked below, while thin strips of tenuous cloud appeared from nowhere above the northern cliffs. They moved with great rapidity at the enormous height, touched with a lurid brilliance as the sun sank out of sight. And when Hendricks strolled over with Lord Ernie to La Cure for supper, there came a sudden rush of heated wind that set the branches sharply rattling, then died away as abruptly as it rose. They seemed reflected too, these disturbances, in the human atmospheres about the supper-table. There was suppression of various emotions—emotions presaging violence. Lord Ernie was exhilarated Hendrick's uneasy and preoccupied. The pastor, grave and thoughtful. In Hendrick's was another feeling as well, that he had lightly summoned a storm which might carry him off his feet. The boy's excitement increased it, as wind-puffs fan a starting fire. His own judgment had somewhere played him false, betraying into this incredible adventure and yet he could not stop it. The pastor's influence was over him, perhaps. He was ashamed to turn back. He was committed. The unusual circumstances found the weakness in his character. For somewhere in the preposterous supposition there lay a big forgotten truth. He could not believe it, and yet he did believe it the world had forgotten how to live truly close to nature. A desultory conversation was carried on, chiefly between the two men, while the boy ate hungrily, and Madame Leysanne watched her husband with anxiety as she served the simple meal. "'So, you are coming with us, and you like to come?' the pastor observed quietly, Hendricks translating. Lord Ernie replied with a gesture of unmistakable enthusiasm a wild lot of men and women leysin went on keeping his eye hard upon him with an interesting worship of their own copied from very ancient times they live on the heights and mix little with us valley folk you shall see their ceremonies tonight they get the wind and fire into themselves don't they asked the boy keenly and somewhat to the distress of the translator who rendered it they get into wind and fire ah they worship wind and fire leysin replied and they do it by means of a wonderful dance that somehow imitates the leap of flame and a headlong rush of wind If you copy the movements and gestures of a person, you discover the emotion that causes them. You share it. Their idea is, apparently, that by imitating the movements they invite or attract the force, draw these elemental powers into their systems, so that in the end—he stopped suddenly, catching the tutor's eye. Lord Ernie seemed to understand without translation. He had laid down his knife and fork and was leaning forward across the table, listening with deep absorption. His expression was alert with a new intelligence that was almost cunning. An acute sensibility seemed to have awakened in him. "'As with laughing, I suppose he said in an undertone to Hendricks, quickly if you imitate laughter you laugh yourself in the end and feel all the jolly excitement of laughter." is that what he means the tutor nodded with assumed indifference imitation is always infectious he said lightly but of course you will not imitate these wild people yourself bindi we will just look on from a distance "'From a distance!' repeated the boy, obviously disappointed. "'What's the good of that?' A look of obstinacy passed across his altered face. Hendricks met his eyes squarely. "'At a circus,' he said firmly, "'you just watch. You don't imitate the clown, do you?' "'If you look long enough, you do,' was the rather dogged reply." "'Well, take the Russian dancers we saw in Moscow,' the other insisted patiently. "'You felt the power and beauty without jumping up and whirling in your stall?' Bindi half glared at him. There was almost contempt in his quiet answer. "'But your mind whirled with them, and later your body would too. Otherwise it's given you nothing.' He paused a second. I can only get fun of riding by being on a horseback and doing his movements exactly with him—not by watching him!" Hendrik smiled and shrugged his shoulders. He did not wish to discourage the enthusiasm lying behind this analysis. The uneasiness in him grew apace. He said something rapidly in French, using an undertone and laughter to confuse the actual words of course we must not interfere with their ceremonies put in the pastor with decision it's sacred to them we can hide among the trees and watch you would not leave your seat in church to imitate the priest now would you he glanced smilingly at the eager youth before him if he did something real i would it was said with a bright flash in his eyes anything real, I'd copy like a shot, only i never find it.' The reply was disconcerting, rather, and Hendricks, as he hurriedly translated, made a clatter with a knife and fork, for something in him rose to meet the truth behind the curious words. From that moment, as though catching a little of the boy's exhilaration, he passed under a kind of spell, perhaps. It was, in spite of the exaggeration, oddly stimulating. This dull little meal at the village cure masked an accumulating vehemence, eager to break loose. He heard the old father's voice, Are well done, Hendricks! You have accomplished wonders!' He would take back the boy alive. Yet all the time there were streaks and patches on his soul as upon the surface of the lake that afternoon. There were signs of terror. He felt himself letting go, an increasing recklessness, a yielding up more and more of his own authority to that of this triumphant boy. Bindy understood the meaning of it all, and felt secure. Hendricks faltered, hesitated, stood on the defensive. Yet ever less and less, already he accepted the other's guidance. Already Lord Ernie's leadership was in the ascendant. Conviction invariably holds dominion over doubt. They ate little. It was near the end of the meal when the wind, falling from a clear and starlit sky, struck its first violent blow, dropping with the force of an explosion that shook the wooden house, and passing with a roar towards the distant lake the oil lamp suspended from the ceiling trembled the pastor looked apprehensively at the shuttered windows and lord ernie with startling abruptness stood up his eyes were shining his voice was brisk alert and deep the wind the wind he cried think what'll be up there we shall feel it on our bodies his enthusiasm was like a rush of air across the table and the fire he went on the flames will lick all over and tear about the sky i feel the wild and full of them already how splendid and the flame of the little lamp leaped higher in the chimney as he said it the violence of the coup de Jaran is extraordinary explained Leysin as he got up to turn down the wick and the second outburst The rest of the sentence was drowned by the noise of Hendrickson's voice, telling the boy to sit down and finish his supper. And at the same moment the pastor's wife came in, as though a stroke of wind drove behind her down the passage. The door slammed in the draught. There was a momentary confusion in the room, above which her voice rose shrill and frightened. Uh, "'The the fires are alight, Jules!' she whispered in her half-intelligible patois. Uh, the, the forest is burning all along the upper ridge her face was pale and her speech was stumbling she lowered her lips to her husband's ear ah they'll be looking out for recruits tonight is it necessary is it right for you to go she glanced uneasily at the english visitors you know the danger he stopped her with a gesture those who look on at life Accomplish nothing he answered impatiently one must act always act chances are sent to be taken not stared at he rose pushing past her into the passage and as he did so she gave him one swift comprehensive look of tenderness and admiration then hurried after him to find his hat and cloak Mm. willingly she would have kept him at home that night yet gladly, in another sense, she saw him go. She fumbled in her movements, ready to laugh or cry or pray. Hendricks saw her pain and understood. It was singular how the woman's attitude intensified his own misgivings. Her behaviour, the mere expression of her face alone, made the adventure so absolutely real." three minutes later they were in the village street hendricks and lord ernie the latter impatient in the road beyond saw her tall figure stoop to embrace him i shall pray all night i shall watch from my window for your return god who speaks from the whirlwind and whose pathway is the fire will go with you remember the younger men it is ever the younger men that they seek to take her words were half hysterical. The kiss was given and taken. The open doorway framed her outline a moment. Then the buttress of the church blotted her out, and they were off. End of Part 6